you know, about six years ago, I went to talk to the pathologist, and they're like, we never see yep. ulceration yep. from kidney disease. So it's like, how did that perpetuated. Yeah. Like it must have just gotten into textbooks and then it everybody... It's because cats were treated like small dogs and yeah. small people. Yep. Yep. Probably more common in other species. Yep. Yep. Right? And that's just what we've seen happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think this is how these things got established. Yeah. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast. The best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Dr. Susan Little, and I'm with Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. And where are we, Yola? We are in beautiful New York City. And why are we here? Because of New York Fest. No, Susan. no, no. We're here to eat oysters. Oh, that's that, <laughs> he that forgets. too. That he too. forgets that the too. important things. And we're here for oysters. <laughs> and New York Vet. Yeah. And New York yeah. Vet. So yeah. oysters, 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 New, New York, York Vets. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah absolutely. I need to get some oysters. I have you no do. idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, really, uh-huh. really. We can fill you in. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And we're really lucky because we get to talk to some cool people here at mm-hmm. New York Vet. And one of them is Dr. Katie Tolbert. So thank you for being with us, Thanks Katie. for having me. So the tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my personal or professional Whatever life. you would yes, like. Yes, yeah. Reveal as much or as little as it's, you would like. It's an open mic here. Yeah. Awesome. No, yeah. I'll, stick, I'll stick to professional. Well, um, I am uh, born in Lexington, Kentucky, raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Went to University of Georgia for my vet school and internship. And then PhD in residency at NC State. And then I was at University of Tennessee for six years. And now I'm with Texas A&M. When I was an Texas? intern in Georgia, too. You were. Uh-huh. We share that in uh-huh. common. Go Bulldogs. Yeah, go Bulldogs. Probably at and a little different time. We have a house in Atlanta. So, okay. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. yeah, it's a good city. It's a good Long city. time ago. Yeah. Long time ago. So you fairly recently moved to A&M, right? Yes, I actually yeah. left uh, Texas A&M, I mean, left Tennessee in September. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so here's a big question. Yeah. Do you have a cat? I do not have a cat right now. <laughs> I used to not? Have, I used to have two cats. Really? And then um, my partner is very OCD. Oh, oh I was going to say you were going to allergic. Okay. No, she is not allergic, but she cannot handle a litter oh. box. And we both kind of have a, like, I don't know, like, I love outdoor cats, but then we also yeah. have a really big songbird population around mm. our house. Yeah, so yeah. there's, like, that. So I would love to have cats again. We may have to. <laughs> So well, you, agreement. I, can, I, I can help you out with yeah, that, yeah, should yeah. you ever. Yeah. And, yes. and we totally forgot to talk about the D word that is yes. not to be mentioned. Yes, yes. No, we can't okay. talk so we about have it. a rule. I've heard that we okay. cannot talk you, about you, it. Here's the, okay. here's the rule. And yeah. you know you know what happens if you say the D word. Oh, no, do I get punched or something? No, no, no. Okay. no it's much We're like, non-violent. We're non-violent. You might have to buy us a glass of wine. Oh, okay. All right. I'll do my best. I don't make that much money. Some people rack it up quite high. Okay. But Stan, Stan Marks. He didn't say any. That is no. shocking to me. Actually. I know. He I had know. really good self-control, that, I have to say. Yeah, I, that does not, those two things don't compute. Stand yeah. and yeah, he did a good job. Like, uh-huh. He Amazing. did a good job. So okay. we'll just, we'll Amazing. see. Okay, yeah. Now you've it. got a standard. You've got a standard. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So uh, uh, there's a uh, big thing that I wanted to talk to you about. 
um, and that is that ACVIM, just like hot off the press, released some consensus guidelines on gastric acid suppression in dogs and cats. Much needed. Yes, definitely. And full of cool stuff. You said it, and now you owe me a glass of wine. I did. But it's in the title. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. We didn't say it works the other way around. Yeah, no, okay, it does. she's too sharp. It's, it's, she's it's, too I sharp. love it. I love it. I love it. I've had five cups of coffee. It's in, it's in, it's in the to title. Oh, tonight. Okay. Tonight. Okay, Katie, you got me. You so, got me. No, it's all, okay. it's all good. So you're one of the uh, co-authors on yes. the paper. Remind us who else is on that consensus um, that's statement. Stan, yeah, Stan and Marks. Mike Willard and Peter Cook and Mark Pappich. Yeah, cool. That's okay. awesome. Good, a good group. So As a matter of fact, I, I published, I showed, I saw that on, I think Susan uh, yeah. saw it on social media. Yeah. She posted it. Yeah. I posted on the Global Veterinary Surgery site, oh, and okay. it's one of the highest yeah. uh, interaction yeah. pieces. Yeah, we get that lots of comments when yeah. we've good. been posting about that. That's great. So why did we need a consensus statement like that? I mean, just like I was, you know, talking about in my seminar here, mm-hmm. is that. People use acid suppressants so irrationally. Like there's <laughs> no, like sometimes, like for example, at my own hospital or when I was at the University of Tennessee and now I actually do clinics at NC State, I'll walk into the ICU and an animal is receiving pantoprazole and I'm like, what, you know, trying to look through a medical record, try to understand why, and there's no indication whatsoever. And, you know, there's the costs <laughs> associated with that. It's an additional yep. injection. There are risks of injections, obviously, in cats especially. Yep. Um, and then there can be adverse consequences that we don't really understand yet in dogs yep. and cats. So, yeah. so we needed that. And the consensus statement does cover other things like mesoprostol, sucralfate, that sort of thing too. I just want to mention that. You said the deal. Right? Oh, okay, we're even. Yeah. Okay, no, we're, we're even. even. So we're even. Like, this is a really good podcast for me. So, you know, I no, like we it. We wiped each other out. Now, no. I, I, I back to base one. I have to warn you, Yol is a surgeon. Okay. And oh, I'm, God. I, I'm a medic. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so sometimes we have. Uh-huh. There might be some disagreements or tension. Yeah. No, and it's not that. It's, it's <laughs> love. In, inherent. It's love. inherent. And, love. and I and I I love it when we get a topic that really doesn't have a lot of surgery in it. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, like this topic. Yes. Yeah. 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 As, yeah. as you know, yeah. as if I don't know anything else. Yeah. But yeah. Then yeah. cutting yeah, out little animals. So the the consensus guideline covers uh, like a broad range. Yes. Right of things. So you mentioned things like sucralfate yes. and um, like H2 blockers yeah. and so again, tell me what else. Yeah. Can yes. we can, before we go yeah. there? Can we talk a little bit about writing an article like that oh, because good question. you know I've written quite a lot of articles yes. and it is so painful if you do it on your own yeah. let alone let alone when it's you do it with so many people yeah, how do you good get question. this consensus because it's called a consensus yes so it for just to start back at mm. the beginning we actually started doing this consensus statement in 2014 so we presented mm. it at the ACVIM we talked about it there we actually had you know, a skeleton of a paper. So it's taken us three years to put this all together. So wow. it was a big, 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 big endeavor. Mm. Um, we all kind of basically split sections of it that was more related to the research that we did and then essentially sent the, all of those documents around to say, what do you think? Do you have uh, edits, et cetera? And we did that you know, hundreds of times, honestly, and then came to this mm. sort of put it yeah. all together. It's a real wow. process. Oh, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's and it's a consensus statement is a little bit different, obviously, to put together. Yeah, you have to tread quite carefully, right? And it's interesting because you have, you know, so we have five authors on this paper, and everyone has a different writing style. Yeah. So it's about compromise mm. and, yeah. you know, letting yeah. things think things go or whatever. <laughs> so, so it's a good life lesson. Yeah. Of all the things that you made consensus about, which one was the most tough one? Mm. You know, actually, we pretty much agreed on 
everything, I think. I mean, for the most part. I mean, because there's a lack of evidence mm. for everything that we said, yeah. basically. But we agreed on pretty much everything. I think the one that's the most interesting, to me at least, is the prophylactic use of acid suppressants for conditions such as, you know, you have immune-mediated hemolytic immune anemia, mm. And you're giving steroids. Should you give gastroprotectants prophylactically? You're you have a healthy dog who has, sorry, osteoarthritis. <laughs> that should we give yeah. a PPI mm -hmm. or not? And so, that to me, d we didn't have a lot of conflict about, but was like the most important, interesting thing that I think we needed to get out there to mm -hmm. say when is it appropriate to use prophylaxis, and when is it not? So let's dive into that for cats then, because. Um, Cats are often on long-term corticosteroids. Yep. They're often on long-term NSAIDs. Yep. Right? So let's dive into that. Are there times when it makes sense to prophylactically use a gastric acid suppressant? Yeah, I think cats are really interesting as a species in terms of their development of GI ulceration because it's not very common. Yeah. You know, compared to the D word, they don't get it yeah. very often. Yeah, there's that paper that yep. you were involved in, I think. Um, the one that looked at the the uh, postmortem. Oh no, that wasn't me. Uh, but okay, that but was you know what the, the, the lip yeah, tack yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. yeah. Yes, and it's just not it's just not common at all in cats. Yeah. And so some of that may be because of differences in their sort of intestinal microbiota or the way that they metabolize drugs. For example, the way that they metabolize a lot of the NSAIDs is very different yeah. from the way that dogs do. Yeah. Um, the way that they, like dogs, have enterohepatic recirculation of NSAIDs and they uh, have like really high concentrations that go out of their bile into the duodenum and because of that and their microbiota, that's probably why the D word is more mm. susceptible mm. to NSAID-induced ulceration, whereas the cat, we think about things like, you know, acute kidney injury, et cetera. Yeah, we with, think of different things. Mm. So for me, there's no way that I would think about prophylactically giving a gastroprotectant in a cat for those conditions yeah. because it's so uncommon that they would develop yeah. ulceration. Mm. Now, if you had a cat who had mast cell tumor and you were giving steroids, that would be the time where I would think about some sort of gastroprotectant, obviously, you know, something like, um, well, you wouldn't do that. Let me, let me, let me go back. Why would you do that? Give steroids and, and instead together. But mm. um, let me think of a different example. Maybe you had a mast cell tumor and the cat also had osteoarthritis, so you're yeah. giving an inset or something. Mm -hmm. Two risk yeah, factors yeah. coming mm -hmm. together. Yeah. That's the time where I would think about doing a PPI. Yeah, yeah. So the other... Um, and PPI stands oh, for because yeah. there's oh, sorry. a sorry, proton pump inhibitor. So like, so like Prilosec, yeah. okay. Nexium. Yeah, yeah. So in the other place that um, I have chronically seen, or that I've seen these drugs chronically used are in the chronic kidney disease. Yeah, it drives me nuts. Doesn't it? It drives yeah. me a little bit nuts too. Yeah. Um, well, in the beginning, it didn't drive me nuts because I didn't know any better. Yeah. Right. And then one day you go, why are we doing yeah. this exactly? And yeah. then it started to drive me nuts. So let's talk a little bit about that because historically, it's been common right. yeah. to do this. Why did we do it historically? Yeah. Well, I think anecdotally, people think that it increases their appetite. So I, that's what I hear. Like it decreases yeah. vomiting, it increases their appetite, and so that's why people do it. And again, I, I'm not sure that I believe that. We have a study that's funded by the Morris Animal Foundation right now that we're doing with um, Jessica Quimby, yeah. mm. which is a randomized double-blinded clinical trial where we're giving cats with stage 3 and stage 4 chronic kidney disease a omeprazole or placebo, and then they cross over. Mm. And so we're going to see, does it actually cool. stimulate their appetite? Awesome. Does it increase, um, I mean, does it decrease vomiting episodes, et cetera? Does it do anything with their attitude? And so hopefully that will help sort of answer that question. Mm. But the thing that really, so I don't know that I believe that it necessarily will hurt the kidneys or do anything harmful to the cat. How I think it harms the cat is that how many drugs are you mm. already giving that cat? I agree. 
And it's a cat. It's polypharmacy. Even, I mean, mm. all the studies that we do in healthy cats, I mean, thinking about giving medications to them makes me, like, yep. my skin crawl a little yep. bit. Mm. I agree. Do you know what I mean? And so then going to a cat that doesn't have an appetite, that doesn't feel well, that's vomiting, and you're, like, having to give all these medications, the owner's stressed out about that, just take one off the table because they don't need it. So yep. that's why, why yep. it's, like, sort of my Yeah, and I think that's really where we need, like, to look at evidence base and prioritize right. what drugs we're going to give. Right. right, exactly. And I think we also used to assume that cats got, um, like, uremic gastritis right. and maybe they don't well we understand now that they don't and yeah. i think that it's a, the weirdest thing where Isn't like it? i learned that in vet school mm. that sure. you know kidney disease was a cause of ulceration mm. and then you know about six years ago i went to talk to the pathologist and they're like we never see yep. ulceration yep. from kidney disease so it's like how did that perpetuate yeah it must have just gotten into textbooks and then it everybody it's because cats were treated like small dogs and yep. small people yep yeah probably more common in other species yep Yep. Right? And that's just what we've seen happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think this is how these things got established. Yeah. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. I think, yeah, that's really, really cool. And I also think that in the last couple of years, it has been such a change between also the amount of drugs that you can get, right? Right, mm, yeah. So we started, uh, you know, there was only antiacids that yes. we had in the beginning. Like just emotidine or no, know, not even cimetidine. I know, we yeah, started yeah. with cimetidine yeah. and, and that was the only thing that you had. And then now we have this whole plethora yes. of drugs. And how do you know which one to use and when to use Yeah, yeah especially the, in cats, right? Good yeah, question. I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing where I'm like, I try to teach veterinarians, like, what is the effect that you want? Mm. If you want to stimulate appetite, give an appetite stimulant. Mm -hmm. If you want to decrease vomiting, give an anti-emetic. Mm. Yeah. If you truly believe that the cat has upper GI ulceration, which is uncommon in the cat, then that is appropriate to give an acid suppressant. Otherwise, you really shouldn't be using it. I mm. think a lot of vets have had the probably mistaken thought that especially the H2 blockers act like anti-emetics. Because yes. I, mm. I, I get that quite often, right. you know, that they're treating vomiting, but yes. they're not anti-emetic. No, mm. not at all. Yeah, they yeah. don't have any anti-emetic yeah. effect. Yes, and again, yeah. I hope that the study that we're doing now will, like, mm. you know, you never want to, like, hope for something <laughs> as a scientist, but, you know, like, I, my hypothesis is that the acid suppressant will not do anything for number of vomiting episodes yeah. in these cats, and yeah. that will show, yeah. you know. So yeah. that's what your, that's, that's your end you know, result then that you look for, the number yeah, of Yeah, kind of similar or? to like, you know, Quimby's studies that she's done in the past where, for example, you know, she had that moropitan study, yeah. or Tazbean mm -hmm. study where she's looking at like weight loss, you know, mm. um, vomiting episodes. Appetite, vomiting yeah. episodes. So yeah. it's very similar in the study design. Um, just in this case, we're going to give, we are giving them a result. Yeah. Right. yeah. So if we look at the highlights of your paper, what, Pick some out of them that that were kind of when you were talking because in the beginning you probably your mindset is pretty much like this and you said you didn't have that many 
uh, dissonance within the group but still are there things that after you have written the paper that you're really happy about that it is now open in the air i think one of the biggest things is again sort of n the making sure that we're not misusing these drugs i think the other thing is just thinking rationally about whether or not these drugs work again because i am like I'm dying to do a compliance study in cats. Like, mm. Dying, dying, dying. Let's talk yes. because mm. dying. You know, we so need compliance studies. Ugh, we need compliance studies, yeah, especially as it relates to things like chronic kidney disease. Oh my gosh. Quimmy and I talk. have talked so many times about like we have to do this. We should talk. Yep. So I mean that's the thing for me is like, is it effective? Is there evidence? So for example, people want to give like sucralfate and pepsin, sucralfate mm. and a PPI. And there's really, unless the animal has pain, not a good reason to co-administer those drugs. Sucralfate is just not a good drug for upper GI ulceration in the dog and cat. And it's definitely, and if you look at human studies, meta-analyses, sort of as monotherapy, like the PPI is far superior. Mm. So, you know, that's the one thing, that, one of the things that I really like about the consensus statement is it's sort of saying, okay, what is really, what's the evidence? Mm. Like, when should you give this drug and when is it not appropriate? So when would we use, let's, let's talk about sucralfate, when would you use that in a cat? So if the animal has severe esophagitis, yep. Like if it's pain or mucositis, yep. mm. very effective for mucositis. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, he, and, and mucosal healing of mucositis is very effective. For esophagitis, probably not as effective for mucosal healing, mm. but great for pain. Mm. So the sucralfate slurry, um, people say, I've talked to Dr. Papage a lot about this a lot. I have to call him Dr. Papage because I did my residency. <laughs> <in Kansas State. laughs> so even though we're colleagues now, I always will refer yeah. to him know, as Dr. Papage. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you know, he and others, you know, basically have said before, the, the suspension that's available is probably better than taking the tablet. Oh, and, and making sort of a slurry? Making a slurry, oh, just brilliant. because of the viscosity. Ah. So now I tend to use that, even though it's more expensive. Yeah, the, the but you get better, like, coating. But and you get better coating, oh, and okay. I think it's probably better for pain. So anytime I have an animal that has esophagitis that's inappetent, that I think is probably because of pain, or they have tylism or nausea or something like that that I think is pain-related, then I will give sucralfate, but otherwise I don't give it. So oh. here I have my cat. Yes. Here I have the sucralfate suspension. Yes. What do I need to do to not get the sucralfate suspension <laughs> on me oh, but luck. into the cat? Uh, E-tube. E-tube, that's yes. the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that does Otherwise, it. there's no way. And how do you get that then against if the gingivitis thing? If you have mucositis, you're screwed. I mean, you have to give it orally because yeah. like, that's the way it works. I don't know. I mean, I, that's the thing. Yeah. I, for us as veterinarians and why I keep like trying to come back to the compliance issue, Think about your owner. Mm -hmm. Is your owner physically able? Like you mm -hmm. may think this is the best drug. It's so indicated. Like there's mm -hmm. great rationale for using it. But can you get away with not using it? Because mm -hmm. your owner is elderly and she has yes. rheumatoid Absolutely. arthritis. And she has nobody to help her. Or the cat is yeah. going to hide underneath the table. Do and you know what I mean? Like I think that's totally. the thing. Especially she has beautiful white furniture. She has beautiful with white furniture. White <laughs> clutches on it. Exactly. Yes. So I mean that's the thing as veterinarians that I think we have to get back to is like we put a lot of pressure on our clients yeah. to do all these things and sometimes they're not going to admit to us that they can't absolutely absolutely, absolutely. so you know where I really started to think about that so this is a, a minor segue I'll try not to go yeah. down a rabbit hole with this but my mom and dad are in their 80s my, yep. my dad's passed away last year yep. but anyway they're in their 80s and I used to in later years go to their regular doctor's appointments with yep. them and their doctor would ask them to bring everything that they take. So yep. drugs, mm. vitamins, minerals, everything. Yep. And I started to think, why? Because yep. the doctors prescribed everything. Yep. Well, one of the to things they're, sure they're checking compliant. is compliance. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it was uh, that you know, blood pressure pill was prescribed to yep. my dad, yep. does he maybe not take it because there's a side effect he doesn't like? 
Yep. And this is very unexplored with yep. cat owners. I totally agree. And yeah. we've started to do it now. Well, we started to do it at Tennessee. Shelly Olin is a really big proponent of this as well, just to like, let's just mark in the record. Let's not shame them. Yeah. But let's mark in the record yeah. when it looks like there's more pills than should be there. Yeah. And then when we see that maybe the IMHA is not responding like we thought, Maybe it's not that we need to add another drug. But mm. see, like, how are things going? Like, are you able yeah. to get the fill? And I know this must be really difficult for you. Yeah, we like, need to learn, learn how, how to help. kind of have that conversation, right? right? Yeah. Because otherwise, it, the owner's going to feel like they have failed. And they won't tell you. I mean, that's no. the thing. So my dad has a D, and um, yeah. he the the dog has horrific skin disease, and my yeah. dad has to give these, you know, allergy injections, the subcutaneous injections or whatever, and the dog hates it. Yeah. Um, and it really has disrupted their bond. Mm. Like rumors, ah, we the underestimate dog, that, she don't we? like goes, mm. you know, she hides. My dad stopped giving the injections. Yep. Mm. You know, yeah. because and he's not going to want to feel like a failed owner. Right. Yeah. Right. It's going to be difficult to admit yes. that. He didn't tell the veterinarian. He told yeah. me, and I'm like, Dad, yeah. like we got to do something. We like, do. What can we do? How can I help yeah. you? Yeah. So I, I think you're right. We need to learn how to be uh, more practical yes. and. <clears throat> think about that human-animal bond, especially for chronic exactly. treatment of disease. Yes. And we also need to learn how to talk to owners in yes. a way that's not going to... Be empathetic. Yeah, we need to be empathetic. And we also, in our own mind, yes. if we think the owner's failed, right. it's going to come across. Right, exactly. Mm. Do you know what really helps? I, sorry, I'm sorry, Gina, yeah, we're no, going no, down no. this rabbit hole. So my own cat, who's now long gone, had IBD, pancreatitis, oh and God. diabetes. Oh, my God. Mm. And if, you know, so I and my husband and I are both veterinarians. Yes. You know, we're both boarded veterinarians. Right. We felt like complete owner fails. Yeah. And it really opened my eyes to yeah. what we're asking owners to do. If two boarded veterinarians totally. can't manage their cat. Yeah. That's and that's he was not the tough cat. That's the thing. You go, it, mm. it's when you go through your own experience. Like, you know, I had an animal who had gastric carcinoma, and he was very, like, sick, and he didn't want to eat, and he didn't want to take medications. And, you know, they sent me home with six <laughs> different medications. Yeah. Mm. And I'm looking at them like, Okay, which of them today am I going to get into? Because yeah. I'm not going to get all six of yep. them. Because yep. you're going to hate me. I'm going to hate myself. Yep. It's going to disrupt everything about our relationship. So let me pick a couple. Yeah. And that's the thing I think about cats, for example, with chronic kidney disease. If if you have to give mm -hmm. four different medications, can you tell the owner, yeah. listen, this, this one always, this one, yeah. if you you have to have yeah. to try to get this Number in. One. And then all these other ones would be really, really great for your yep. cat. But, like, it's kind of icing on the top. Gotcha. But this one has to get in. Yep. So you need to prioritize. You have to prioritize. And we don't do that. No, like, we, we don't. give a discharge instruction that basically is like, here are the medications, here are the instructions. You've got to do them all. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. And, and yeah. I think uh, uh, papers like this consensus statement also help us know what drugs don't need to be on right. the list. Right, yes. So even better if we can get some drugs off of yeah. the list yes. for these chronic exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think it's important because we we tend to send people away with a lot of drugs without showing them how to totally. give them. Totally, yeah. And, and for me, um, I was always challenging my students and say, okay, what I want you to do is show them in the exam room <laughs> oh, yeah. how to do it. Yeah, good and luck. if you find out that it's really difficult, yes. the owner is not going to use right. it. Right. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah. I totally because agree. Because that that is a thing yeah. that, you know, we ov overlook so easily. Yeah. Yes. It's the art of veterinary medicine too yeah. though. Like yes. you know, I, I know it sounds like kind of a soft skill, yeah. but it's a really important skill yeah. to put yourself in the owner's position. And I think it just comes with experience and age. Yeah. Like do you know what I mean? Like I, when I first got onto practice, I would have been that person that was like, and you had 10 medications? Sure, sure. We all, I think we all you know are. I mean? We all like, were. Yeah. Th these are indicated. Absolutely. There's good evidence for you to give them. Absolutely. Do it. 
So thank you so much yeah. once again for uh, for this this first part Thanks of our podcast. It's, it's wonderful to have you here, Katie. And and uh, so we all, you know, uh, we're so excited that you'll be back in two weeks, uh, obviously in the same location. But uh, <laughs> time we'll, travel. Yeah, we're, we're time traveling <laughs> all the time. But it's it's very much appreciated. I'm like I am. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and the, the the interesting thing is from literature is, you know not everybody has time to read it so yeah. this is wonderful for our audience to get kind of a yeah. overview of yeah. why from and how from an expert an from the expert. panel thank you i know love it so yeah, thank you so thank much you. thanks for having me the opinions of this podcast are those by dr susan little and dr yola kirpenstein veterinary medicine is a complex profession and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at her podcast. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatVetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. 